0: Welcome to another session of Ahead on Healthcare. In this case, it's also Ahead on Finance. Today, we're going to be talking about an interesting topic, enterprise risk regulations and how technology is enabling really stability in those in that area. With us today, we have a good friend of mine, Shair Shigagi, who I've known, man, for like 150 years. No, not that long, but for a long time. Shair is... Currently a professor at Columbia University. Shayer, I was going to talk to you about that. You're you're at the wrong university. You know that, right? (laughs) I'm just playing, but he's a professor at Columbia University in is it the graduate school, professional school?
1: Yeah, it's the graduate program. It's called School of Professional
0: Studies. Focused on, on IT risk and risk management, Shayer has had a long, illustrious career in risk, cyber, working for the likes of uh, BDO and Kurt Solomon and Citigroup and Deloitte and PwC and Accenture. You you sound like you're as old as I am <laughs> With all those companies. But a lot of knowledge, a lot of insight. Um, that's why I asked them to join us today. And again, we're, we're talking about enterprise to risk and why I thought this was important from a healthcare perspective, you know, in healthcare, there are a lot of challenges right now from a workforce perspective, success and challenges, challenges with kind of the tightening labor market, labor costs, COVID introduced a ton of kind of risk from a healthcare perspective that also kind of impacted government policies and economic conditions regulatory compliance was impacted by COVID and kind of how healthcare companies have to uh, kind of bolster their readiness and patient protection and data privacy, all that stuff kind of uh, exploded. Not to mention, you know, cyber threats, such as ransomware, they've continued to impact, you know, healthcare and, and cause a lot of, of, of headaches for uh, those in the healthcare industry. On the finance side, you know, it's interesting too, because things have emerged like esg compliance and trying to protect kind of consumers from the likes of ai and crypto and the needs to do kind of more due diligence as relates to working with kind of sanctioned third parties as well you kind of have the same kind of cybersecurity risk and data risks and kind of regulatory fragmentation if you will then you got the geopolitics and all that other stuff so so tons of potential things that kind of sea levels have to worry about kind of on both sides as it deals with with how you manage risk in this particular climate that we have COVID is kind of spurred on a lot, but there's other things too that kind of spurred on the need to manage risk. So one of the things I think Shayer that'd be good to kind of level set is what is enterprise risk and kind of differentiating it from more of a siloed focus on risk, and why is, from your perspective, I mean, hopefully those things kind of resonated and kind of lead to kind of a justification for more of an enterprise kind of tackling a risk. But what's what can you help kind of level set with 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 regards to what is enterprise versus kind of that siloed approach?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, great to be with you, Jay. It's been a long journey together, and uh, <laughs> you know, I guess. For some reason, your, your hair is just staying darker and mine is getting grayer. So,
0: let's call I shave my hair. <laughs>
1: but, good question. I think uh, both of us have been in industry for a long time, mainly in the consulting role. So, given the nature of our exper- expertise in technology from a tradition, you know, going to the past days, of was starting back in the days in, with Anderson Consulting or Accenture now. We went across various industries, like as you remember, we were more of a horizontal versus vertical practice. So to that extent, we've seen it all. We Mm -hmm. service, help clients in healthcare, financial services, manufacturing, you name it. And obviously that was a good experience to understand how the maturity of various functions, including risk management is across various industries, Due to a number of drivers, the drivers, we think that financial services leads the pack in terms of risk management. A key driver for that is regular, regulatory drive forces. You know, they, they obviously are highly regu- regulated. I think healthcare comes right after that. But in general, you know, if you look at the retail industry, that they really don't have much of a focus and or priority On risk management as much as financial services and healthcare. But given that, I think when you look at even today, 2023, and you start to define what is enterprise risk management and are organizations doing it right, the answer is no, they're not doing it right. They're still in a kind of a maturity progression. In my opinion, most organizations Again, if they're financial services, the big banks, they've been forced by regulators to establish the enterprise risk management function years ago, but they're still struggling in terms of getting it right. So maybe they're at maturity of between one to five. They're probably at three. There's healthcare, probably two, and then have the rest of the pack, probably one. And the reason I say that is because risk management is a complex function. It's embedded into everything we do end to end, from front office to the back office. And if you look at a risk management function, if you look at big banks, as an example, they have hundreds and thousands, depending on the size of the bank, of uh, resources aligned with managing risk. At the product level, operational, back office, you have corporate, regulatory, on and on and on. So if you look at it from a standpoint of so many different risk management functions that individual groups are kind of looking at siloed approach. How do I identify or assess potential risks? Don't forget, risk is not eliminated. Risk is mitigated, meaning that you're trying to minimize the impact of that risk to your organization or to your value chain. Once you identify and assess, most companies they're not matured enough to even take it to the next level of quantifying it. You know, they're pretty much prioritize it, prioritize the risks based on, you know, subject matter experts or opinions, which is fine. I don't discount subject matter expertise of the organization. But you know, taking it to the next level for some of the organizations that have actually implemented risk quantification models or techniques some of them like monte carlo simulation which is a mathematical technique that predicts possible outcome of an uncertain event based on a choice of action for instance using a lot of statistical you know models Uh, you know like another model that is well known is fair institute it's really focusing on cyber and operational risk but it's heavy a lot of organizations have been trying to implement that for a few years, larger larger insurance companies or banks and so on. And then, you know, here at Columbia, we, we have our own models. Sim Segal, director of our program, developed a value-based risk quantification model that we use. But the net of it is, uh, the most important thing to remember is that you do have to take it through a process so that ultimately you identify impact to value. And what is yeah. the value? Value is defined differently by different organizations. Obviously, everybody, you know, if you're in the business of making money, value is profitability or, or revenue or whatever you want to call it. But there are other values like your reputation, maybe, you know, for a company that cares a lot about market reputation. There may be values related from a cultural perspective, companies relate, relate one of their high values to retention of employees, keeping the you know best employers. So, you define the values uh, as a company, and then you start mapping out these risks that you've identified, to the you know figure out the me- measure the impact of those risks to those values, and then basically, there's no blank check. You know, you have budget you have resources, resource limitations and things like that. So you need to like, based on that analysis and risk quantification, you ultimately focus in the areas that highest impact to value, right? Now, enterprise risk management helps with that because in most companies, if they do risk management right, they're doing it siloed still in most cases. What I mean by that is you have a group of people that are focused on credit risk, if you're like, you know, in the credit risk business, like financial services and whatnot. You have another group of people that are focusing on market risk. If your company is mature enough, they have a strategic risk function within the organization. You have, you know, regulatory risk. You have operational risk, which is, again, very big, right? IT risk is now everything we do is technology. So technology risk has become its own silo in the past. It used to be part of operational risk. But in general, you have all these different towers or pillars of risk management. And as I said before, some of them in thousands of people across the globe, if you're a global company, managing risk from product level all the way down to Back end. And therefore, if you look at it that way, yeah, it's better than nothing. But think about it. Today, the world is so integ- integrated. It's so right. interconnected. So if you have a operational risk, it definitely would have an impact to your financial risk. If you have identified your strategic risk based on your strategy, which is I'm going to do branch expansion or build more hospitals in certain geographies, then you're obviously looking at cross over to other risks like operation. So if you identify the risks, which is the first step within that pillar or within that silo, it's the first step. But if you don't go cross horizontally across all these different risks and correlate these risks that are related to one another, then you're not really seeing the full picture, right? And that's what enterprise risk is all about. How do you actually make sure that you develop a nice integrated process so that as these risks are identified based on domain expertise of those areas, how do you bring it together and measure the impact to value at the highest level to the
0: organization? You know, it's interesting because when you think about value and risk, and kind of the associated impacts and kind of how all those silos exist one of the things that I think we've both dealt with are kind of mergers and acquisitions if you look at certain markets today I think it was like 22 or 23 the value of all m deals were probably around 70 to 80 billion dollars so it's still huge amounts of dollars kind of being worked through MA, even though I think it's down a bit year over year but there's tons of risk, you know, when you think about an M&A, lack of due diligence, there's maybe some overpayment risk, there's mm-hmm. miscalculation synergies, integration issues, and then you got all the technology stuff. So it just seems like if, from an M&A perspective, if you don't have that enterprise mm-hmm. kind of vantage point, it'll make some of the things we talk about, miscalculation of synergies and kind of some of the integration assumptions just Get completely out of whack, but I don't know what is that. You agree with that, or what? Are you- yeah, of course.
1: And you know, over years we've learned that MA like you said, goes through a lot of. You know, it has its own life cycle from pre-deal, post-deal, due diligence. One of the key areas of due diligence, in addition to feasibility and financial, is IT because everything is technology now. I mean, majority of you know, if you look at financial services, what do financial services do? They sell technology. So I think that that's a big area. And then of course, in the past 15 or so years, I have been focusing in cyber risk. So cybersecurity is one of the key elements of due diligence as part of m a because if you're going to acquire a company or merge with a company, you're gonna, you're gonna inherit the risk that's if right. you don't assess it and figure out what to do with it, right? And therefore, you, you know, if you build out a framework that has this idea of enterprise risk management structured to a way that even pre-deal, you start to roll up these risks at different silos to a central management console that you can then start to say, you know, what are the risks that I need to manage at the enterprise level that, Is some some is part of my existing organization, some is part of the acquiring organization, and so on and so forth. So for sure, it's definitely definitely a good way of looking at it. I don't think most companies do that today, but I think that it's more of a best in class. You know, if you have established, and you know, uh, obviously you got to figure out how does that impact the process from a timing perspective, because, you know, you don't want to slow down the process, a lot of the deals have have priorities when it comes to business. Uh, So there's a balancing act between getting the deal done versus trying to identify and manage all these risks.
0: That makes sense. I guess one, one of the things that I think some of our listeners would be interested to have your perspective on is new stuff from a regulatory perspective that either is coming or has come down the pike from a risk perspective. There's a, I think it was July of this year, there was a cybersecurity regulation that came out. I think they voted to adopt it. It was SEC was like a three to two vote or something like that. But that's an example of how I think cyber, If you think about like board of directors and what they're thinking about. Here's a new cybersecurity regulation that we're going to have to, address. Right. And for some industries, it kind of bolts to the top for healthcare, for an example, huge because of some of the ransomware and and other things that have happened in healthcare. But what what are your thoughts on kind of some of the new regulations, some of the cybersecurity, cybersecurity regulations that have come kind of across the the paths of boards and C-levels recently?
1: Yeah. So I think as we've seen in our lifetime, the things that matter the most or get more visibility, roll up through the organization to highest levels when it comes to accountability, visibility, oversight, responsibility, depending on your role. So at the C-level, obviously, you you know that we've seen a number of mishaps where they ignored the situation and they ended up losing their job and then ending up in jail or various types of situations. Boards are also accountable in terms of being able to provide guidance and direction to companies when it comes to cyber risk. And that's why the recent SEC uh, ruling basically has mandated that in addition to other disclosures that public companies in the U.S. have been doing, now they have to start doing cyber disclosure. And there's a number of detail you know there's a lot of detail behind it but which translates into and by the way the consulting company is loving it because now they're going in front of the boards and (laughs) trying to help yeah help
0: me make that pitch (laughs) yeah
1: we can help you translate that's right mumbo jumbo data that your CISO gives you which you don't even understand what it means into something that you as a board member should understand, you know, somebody that I know very well said something really interesting. Uh, He was a CFO at a large bank and he says for hundreds of years, whatever it is, we've been reporting to the board, financial report to the board and they understand it very well. They know what's, you know, what's the, the, what's the basic concepts of, Financial statements, even though they're not CPAs and they're not, they don't, they may not have a finance degree. But when it comes to cyber, we cannot present something that is meaningful to them. Yeah, they come with all these metrics, asset number of incidents, number of this. So what? What does that mean to me? <laughs> what can I do to help you? Right. Right. I think right. That's a challenge that companies are going to face with with this disclosure because quantifying, uh, not quantifying, but being able to translate the information that rolls up to the board level. I've done a few of those for especially mid-sized companies in, in the past couple of years uh, because it's its definitely something that, you know, is challenging and from my experience. But um, yeah, it's a mandate. It, it started, it's already passed. And so now the companies are trying to figure out what are the reports that what type of reporting should they provide to sec and uh, so they're working on that cyber risk is a is become a visible because every company it's not about if it's about when that you get hacked and i going back to the impact value like how well are you build your resiliency to be able to minimize that impact right so yep. Those yep. are the things that it all kind of connects back to what we just said there. It's
0: interesting too because I think in some industries, like take healthcare as an example, I think the focuses are are slightly different as well. Like healthcare, there's kind of a a health equity push, for lack of a better term, where some of the data reporting mandates and kind of the value based reimbursement models are to your point about forcing folks to kind of do a better job at managing and interpreting data so they can report it back to the board so they understand if they're in compliance with some of these new health equity regulations, for lack of a better term.
1: I was going to say, like, for instance, I've been helping a number of healthcare organizations as well, uh, mainly because, as you know, according to the stats in recent years, they're the number one victim of cyber breaches because they... uh, There are a number of reasons, in my opinion. One, we both know healthcare went through significant digital transformation in the past 10, 15 years, you know, with Epic, this, this, that. They did a lot of digitalization of medical records, integration of various entities in the whole healthcare value chain. But one thing they didn't design as they went through this significant transformation was they didn't design a lot of these with cyber in mind. So the bad guys know that there are a lot of weak links in the whole supply chain, number one. Number two, because it's healthcare, we don't care if somebody hacks our credit card, we call the bank and say, send us another one, right? Right. And the bank takes the losses. But if it's healthcare and somebody takes our medical records, we don't like that, right? And it's not good because a lot of these ransomware attacks, as you know, hospitals are famous for that. They know, the bad guys, they know that they throw a wide net. They're not asking for millions in most cases. They're asking for $20,000 in Bitcoins across 1,000 hospitals. And the hospital administrator says, do I want to give them the 20000 and go to sleep at night knowing that I have surgical procedures of my medical data, clinical data that is hacked and frozen, or do I want to negotiate it? <laughs> do <laughs> I want to uh, say, no, I'm not going to give you So. The, it's an easy bargain, and that's why uh, you know they've been uh, hitting those, uh, that industry. So again, going back to risk management and healthcare, I don't know how many hospitals I know that they've done a good job segmenting their network in a way that their administrative data is separated from their clinical data and this and that and that. Those are some of the things that when it comes to like mitigation, particularly related to
0: healthcare. That's interesting because, you know, I deal both in healthcare and finance and both are kind of notorious for having a lot of legacy technical debt, right? Where on the healthcare side, especially with like large healthcare systems, there's stuff, some some hospitals still running on like Windows XP, right? So you got that on one side and then on, on the finance side, I would say they're probably a little better but you still have a lot of legacy technical debt. And I mentioned that because I'm thinking about cyber and risk and kind of holes that, that folks can get through based on either obsolete software or equipment. Mm -hmm. But I mean, is one better than the other in terms of who's doing better at managing risk healthcare versus finance? Or they're kind of both in the same boat.
1: I think finance is doing better again, because they were in the, business of risk management When finance, you know, financial organizations, they had to learn how to manage risk from the beginning of right. and the foundation of their products and services. And in a way, they have grown up with time and regulatory mandates and, and, and requirements. So I think for sure, finance, in my opinion, in most cases, especially big banks and they're more mature, and uh, you can see that by a number of things one obviously is the actual structure and governance of financial institutions when it comes to these types of issues like cyber management cyber risk management versus, versus hospitals i mean or any any healthcare organization most of the banks ciso's report up to the risk management function they're matured enough that they don't report to it a CIO, which is an old model. Even they've escalated their the levels of CISOs in financial services to higher-ups oh. in the past 10 years because uh, it's an important. And those are all pressures. Uh, I remember when I worked at Citibank, those are all pressures coming from regulators. In healthcare, you still got a lower level of maturity when it comes to governance. And of course, as you and I both know, traditionally, the culture is also an impact, right? Healthcare, they don't care if you, they spend millions of dollars on MRI equipment, but do you think they will spend millions of dollars on cyber risk management strategy and implementation?
0: Good point. Good so point.
1: that's why I believe those are some of the examples. Well,
0: not, not not until they get hit with a ransomware attack. Then they won't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is often too late. Well, last question. We talked about healthcare, a couple of finance. Are there... If you were talking to a C level CIO or even a CISO for that matter, there's some things that might be table stakes. Here are the things minimally you need to do to ensure you're kind of have a handle on enterprise risk. If there are like one or two things that you would give in terms of advice, what would those things be? It's not managing the ship long term, but at least they're starting to get their hands around in that enterprise risk. What what would that what would those things be? Yeah, so from a standpoint of I think if I
1: just focus in one of those components, let's say IT risk, there's a lot to do in there in terms of making sure that, you know, if you have a IT policy and the policy is in conformance with what's practiced in the field, and then, you know, you, you kind of start looking at how do you identify, quantify, manage, uh, or mitigate risk at the silo level, but you know, you have aggregated view of all these risks and cross dependencies. So those are some of the things that you can come up with some basic Excel spreadsheet of a risk catalog across various, when you come up with some indexing of how you can reference different types of risk as it relates to the mapping to other types of risk management functions. So those are some of the basic things that you can start doing. And of course, you also have to keep an eye on the evolving technologies or evolving uh, risks that is coming and it's real, like AI. AI is becoming more and more in the real world situation versus back in the days of research and academia. So if we need to start looking at the risks related to AI in the context of your organization and what applications are using AI, In you got to look at it in the context of quantum computers, they're coming five, ten, five, ten years from now. And what are the what is that going to impact in terms of like both security but also impact the way you operate? So what I'm trying to say is don't just sit back and look at the basics which you have to have in place as a foundation. And you know, there are a lot of good frameworks in that are adopted by different industries to identify risks like NIST CSF, NIST Cybersecurity Framework, is a very well-known framework that you can use that as a checklist to identify your risks in that area. And then, of course, as you establish your risk foundational families of mitigations, families by that, I mean, like, how do I Uh, manage identity how do i manage data uh, data protection what is my data protection strategy what's my threat intelligence how do i look out there then you need to also start looking into these evolving things such as ai and other types of risks that are more more new so i think those are you know looking back building the foundation but also staying in touch with what's coming next
0: that's great that's great well shair great talking with you Great conversation. Again, apologies for Columbia thing, but you understand. (laughs) Always, always insightful. Looking forward to maybe having you back, talk about a few uh, other things that relates to risk and cyber. But to our audience, stay tuned for another episode we'll have shortly from Ahead on Healthcare and Ahead on Finance. Thanks all.